you guys, we're talking about the Ark of the Covenant some more today, and I think I said before, it's one of my favorite things in the scripture, so I'll try to control myself and not overwhelm you with Ark of the Covenant stuff, but um, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 6. And I, I summarized this right at the end last week, just because it, it fit, but we're going to go into more detail with it today. So remember, the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts has been stolen. And he, they put it in the Temple of Dagon, and the, the statue of Dagon fell over, and its hands and its head were broken off. And as they moved it from city to city, every, they would bring it to a city and everybody in the city would get covered with tumors, painful tumors. The city would be overrun with rats. And it says that people would die, but we don't know how they would die. If they would die from the tumors, if they, yeah, we don't. Thankfully, we don't have that detail. So then they would move it to another city. And they'd say, we got to get this Ark of the Covenant out of here. Let's take it over here. And then all those people would get tumors and rats would infest that city. And they said, we got to get this Ark of the Covenant out of here. What in the world? Let's take it over to this city. This city gets, you would think, like how many cities does it have to go through before somebody puts it together that this golden box with the wings on top is troublesome, Right? Well, here's your answer. Seven months. First Samuel chapter six, verse one. The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines for seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners. And they said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us what what we shall send to its place. How do we get it out of here? Isn't this crazy? It took seven months. They know this is a spiritual thing. They know this is something that involves the God of Israel. All they worked on was the Israel part. They didn't even address the God part. So there's this little subtle commentary about having the government solve the problems that are spiritual problems, right? I'll leave that there. That's not the only political commentary you're going to get today, but that's close. So they asked, they finally, they had a spiritual problem. They finally asked the spiritual leaders, what's the problem? What do we do? And they have something. They have an answer. They they might have been waiting around ever since they had to repair the statue of Dagon for somebody to ask them, what do we do? They said, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel, don't send it back empty. But by all means, return to him a guilt offering. Then you'll be healed. It'll be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. Isn't that wild? They acknowledge he. They say two times he. They're referring to the God of Israel. They refer to their guilt. You have to give him a guilt offering. Why would you have to give him a guilt offering? Because you are guilty. Whoa. 
So we have the priests of Dagon telling the rulers of the people that you are guilty in the eyes of Yahweh. Isn't that awesome? This is like serious stuff. Problem is, nobody ever repented and turned to Yahweh. I mean, if if we were all warlords and it was all whoever made the decisions was the toughest person, and Steve stands up and bonks Levi over the head and says, I'm in charge now, we're all gonna be like, Yes, you are. What you want purple up here? You want, what do you want to change? Their God, Dagon, just got beat by Yahweh. And they want Yahweh to leave. Just tell Yahweh to leave so we can get back to doing our Dagon thing. And we'll ignore him. They don't, they don't change. But here's God giving them a chance. He's speaking through the priests of Dagon that he is more powerful. You're guilty. They said, what is the guilt offering? So they admit that they need to give a guilt offering. They say five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines for the plague. So whatever this affliction that was, the rats is easy, right? The other thing, whatever the problem that was showing up on the people, they made them out of gold and they made five of them. Sometimes it's really easy when we are doing something against God to make something else look pretty rather than repent. Isn't that wild? Isn't that like, like if I'm struggling with something, there's something I'm having trouble with. I might say, well, if I can make this look really good, I'll feel better. The whole time God's saying, Dan, repent, turn to me, come I don't care how shiny your car is. I care about your soul. Come on, man. But they make these shiny golden tumors. They make these shiny golden rats or mice. Perhaps you must make images of your tumors, images of your mice that ravage the land. Give glory to the God of Israel. Give glory to God. Here you go. The priests are saying it again. Give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand. Why should you harden your hearts like the Egyptians and Pharaoh? <gasps> wow. So the priests of Dagon in the land of the Philistines know and believe the book of Exodus. Isn't that wild? So they know about Moses. They know about the 10 plagues. They know about Pharaoh but they don't want to follow that God. But they believe it. They believe it to be true. Ah, like I read this, I'm like, Lord, please don't let me be so hard-hearted that I would believe it all, that I would believe it with the faith of the Philistines and not follow it. Isn't that wild? So they, these guys are Philistines and they have great faith in the power of the God of Israel. Why should we harden our hearts like the Egyptians? After he dealt severely with them, didn't they send the people away and they left? Didn't they lose? Don't you remember Egypt? 
I mean, they wouldn't remember. This was hundreds and hundreds of years ahead of time. And the story, the legend of Moses is still ringing on. Wow. So they give him a scenario. At the same time, it sounds like they have all this faith in the God of Israel. And it's a problem that it's the God of Israel because they hate the country Israel, right? They're nations. This is political. And it's kind of a, a joke that they keep saying the God of Israel, uh, whoever wrote this, because they were showing their own nationalism. It's Yahweh God, the God of nations, the God of the universe that's doing it. But there's a little political divide here, isn't there? So they make it really hard for the God of Israel to show himself. And they say, here's what we're going to do. You're going to get a new cart and you're going to get it's not broken in. It's brand new. And you're going to get two milk cows that have never pulled a yoke and they're going to pull it. But you're going to take their calves away from them. Right. So if all of a sudden somebody came in and took Caleb out, you think Cindy's going to pay any attention to my sermon? She loves me. She's going to be wondering where in the heck Caleb is. And who are those guys? All right. So much more for an animal cow, right? Nursing her calf. So if they can go, they've not even built to pull a cart. They've never pulled a cart before in their cow lives. So we're going to put the cows on the cart. We're going to put the ark. We're going to put it on the cart. We're going to put a box next to it with all the golden tumors and all the golden mice as a guilt offering. And then we're just going to stand back. And if those cows pull that cart, if it goes on its own back to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done to us this great harm. If this goes back to Beth Shemesh, which is the closest city to the, to, remember, it's been around five different cities. Five different cities in, in the Philistines. When it's done, the city it's closest to is Beth Shemesh. Uh, it's been closer to other cities as it's been traveling around, right? Where it got captured and all that. But when they finally decide to do this, they're close to Beth Shemesh. Have I said Beth Shemesh enough? Because I really... All right. If it goes back to Beth Shemesh, we'll know that God, the God of Israel did this. And if it doesn't, then it's just a coincidence. This is like Gideon and his lamb's wool. Okay, God, if you're real, make everything wet, but make the lamb's wool dry. And he comes out the next morning, everything's wet, lamb's wool dry. Switches it the very next day. He's testing God. God loves us. And he will show himself to us and he will help us. Just because there's two instances in the Bible of people saying, okay, God, if this, then that doesn't mean that that's the way he wants to interact, right? That's not the best uh, way to have a relationship. I'm going to test this and see if he does it. And that'll mean that he really loves me. That's not helpful. But God does it. And those cows take off. They took two milk cows. They yoked them up. They put the things on the back. And they went. The cows went straight in the direction of where? Beth Shemesh. Along the highway. Lowing as they went. 
They turned neither to the right nor the left. The lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. And they watched it happen. Now, the priests of the Philistines have seen a miracle. They have seen it happen. Still no mention of them following Yahweh God. Alright, so... We're going to leave that whole scenario for a second. And we're going to go back to Numbers. Because Numbers is the best book in the Bible. Joke. So Moses has instructions about the Ark of the Covenant. And Moses has these very specific instructions about the Ark of the Covenant. And if you don't follow these instructions about the Ark of the Covenant, you will die. The Lord spoke, this is Numbers chapter 4. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, count up all the sons of Kohath from the sons of Levi. So the Levites were the priests. Levi had a whole bunch of sons. One of those sons was Kohath. You're going to take the sons of Kohath and you're going to count them. And tell me how many of them there are. From age 30 up to 50. So the guys that are between 30 and 50... And all of them are going to work on the tent of meeting. So remember the sons of Aaron. Sons of Aaron are going to be the son of Levi. They are going to be the priests. They're going to be doing the offering, the butchering, the sacrificing. But the sons of Kohath, they're going to work on, they're going to be like the construction guys, the moving crew. When the camp is set out, Aaron and his sons go in and they basically take apart the temple. They take apart the tabernacle. They take down the veil. There's the ark that you're only supposed to see once a year and you're supposed to have all these sacrifices and you're supposed to be covered in blood. Quick! And they cover it up. They uh, put a covering of um, a goat skin over it. They put a cloth of blue over the top of that. And they put the poles in it to carry it. So the only people that see it are the sons of Aaron. Once that is all covered up, they cover up the table of showbread. They put out the lamp. They cover that with blue. They cover that. They cover all the stuff up. They seal it all up. And then they come out and they go, hey, Koath brothers, you guys, you're ready. And then the sons of Koath come in. And they don't touch anything. They only touch the cloth. They're not touching the actual Ark of the Covenant. They're touching the cloth covering. Because they're not even allowed to look at it. They're not even allowed to touch it. So I was thinking, what? How, how does this happen in our culture? What do we have with this? So, Doug's funeral, you guys. I get there early. It's cold. I'm looking around, getting the situation, and there's the uh, color guard. Is that what they're called? The color guard guys are there. And those guys, and, and they see me, and they walk up to me, and they're like, they're real serious. Like, are you, you know, I'm the minister. Okay, we're the color guard. And then I kind of walk off. And they rehearsed. And they did their thing. And, they, and I could hear them. They were repeating their stuff over and over. And I'm always impressed with these guys because these guys, like, 
Yesterday, they were working at Barry making cups or something. You know what I mean? Like, they're just normal people. And then all of a sudden, they get, they get called on by a family to come and do the color guard thing. And like, like this, this is down here behind the thing, right? Those guys, they practice folding that flag about, I mean, they practice and practice. They practice getting the, tuck this, tuck that. They practice and practice because they want to get it right. They want to do it just the right way. And then I always, I'm not a patriotic person, but I always get chills when the dude says, on behalf of the president of the United States, Dude's got authority, right? And then he hands somebody the flag. So those guys, if those two dudes out at the cemetery take this so seriously to practice this and to make sure they do it exactly right and then to handle it with their gloved hands, right? And I mean, they wear gloved hands when it's like July and 110 outside. Imagine the sons of Aaron and the sons of Kohath. This is the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts. And we got to cover this thing up with blue. We got to cover it with the goat skin. We got to get all ready. Is it ready? Yes. All clear. Okay. You guys get out of the way. The next guys come in. They're going to pick this thing up. This is the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts. And they're going to carry it. All of these rules were handed down from father to son for generations. So only the sons of Aaron could actually see the ark and touch it. They had to cover it with blue. Then only the sons of Kohath could move it and carry it around. So Joshua comes into the promised land. We're not going to go to the book of Joshua. Just go, stay with me. So Joshua comes into the promised land and they designate all these different lands. This is for the tribe of Dan. This is for the tribe of Judah. This is the tribe. And the Levites, we need everybody to be within a day's journey of priests. And so we're going to scatter the Levites all over the place. And they're going to have all these cities. And every one of the Levite cities is going to have a few sons of Aaron and a few sons of Kohath. Guess what one of those cities was called that was full of Levites? Beth Shemesh. So when the cart loaded with the Ark of the Covenant is carried by God into the land... God loves his law and he made his law on purpose. He doesn't make it roll into Bethel. He doesn't make it roll into Jerusalem because there aren't Levites there. And if somebody touches that thing that knows this law, they're going to die. God rolls it into a city of Levites. That's God's love. That's God's power in action. Isn't that awesome? So now, remember the people. They were getting beat by the Philistines, beat by the Philistines, beat by the Philistines. Ugh. Our only hope is to bring the Ark of the God of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, the God of the Lord of Hosts, 
And he'll fight for us. Let's bring it in. They didn't get rid of the bad priests. They didn't get rid of Hotney and Phineas and all those guys. And when the ark was taken, it was so devastating because it was like God left them. It was like God has abandoned us. And it was so bad that uh, Eli fell over dead, that his daughter-in-law died in childbirth. She was so distraught. People were grieving. The ark, God has left. God is gone. So 1 Samuel 6, 13. The people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw the ark. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being in your despair? It's been seven months. And as far as they understood the law and the way it worked, the only way to have your sins forgiven and atoned for was to take a sacrifice to the Ark of the Covenant. But the Ark's gone. We don't even know if we're ever going to get it back. We don't know if any sin will ever be atoned for ever. And it's the harvest time. If this isn't a picture of the second coming and the end of the world, here it is. It's during the harvest. And the people are out there and they're working in the field just like Jesus said they would. And they look up. Can you imagine seeing this shine? I mean, it's gold, right? It's, it is a box made out of gold. It's shining in the sun. And you see it coming along. You would go nuts. You would leave your harvest. Harvest, schmarvest. God has returned to Israel. The cart comes into the field of Joshua, of Beth Shemesh. And stop there. Great stone was there. They broke up the wood of the cart. They offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. There's only statistically a small number of people that know how to do this right. That know how to touch the Ark of the Covenant. That know how to offer a sacrifice to the Lord the right way. And God took it right to them. Right to that. Those Levites of Beth Shemesh. They offer it down. They take down the ark of the Lord and the box that was next to it, in which were the golden figures. They set them upon the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrifice and sacrifice to the Lord that day. What a party. What a miracle. This is miracle on top of miracle on top of miracle, right? The five lords of the Philistines saw it. They saw all this happen. They don't know how you're supposed to carry the ark of the covenant. So what does God do? God shows them mercy. He didn't strike people dead when they touched it. I mean, he brought plagues on them and all that. But he let them move it around. But to the Israelites that know, he held them to what they knew. He goes through all the cities and the lords and that offered all this stuff. The great stone beside which they set down the Ark of the Court is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. So whenever this was written down, finally, that rock was still there and they remembered it. Isn't that radical? That God used milk cows. God worked in the priests of Dagon, the priests of the Philistines, to proclaim his mercy, to proclaim 
that you're guilty, but you can get out of it with this offering? Well, it wasn't all good, but it was mostly good. First Samuel 6.19 He struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 of them. So in a Levite city, not everybody's a Levite. You can also run to a Levite city if you accidentally kill somebody and find refuge there. And that's probably who these guys were. Some non-Levites that lived in Beth Shemesh that looked at it. They might have looked in it. They might have touched it. We don't know. The men of Beth Shemesh said, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? Look at how their words are are almost like the Philistines. The men of Beth Shemesh are God is holy. We are not worthy to have him in our city. The men of the Philistines were the God of Israel is powerful. We don't want him here. Isn't that wild? How close they are. But it's just a little difference in their soul. One is too holy for me. This is too big of a deal. Somebody else needs to be responsible for this because it is out of my league. And the other guys, I don't want to bear that responsibility because I don't want it. I want to do my own thing. Wow. They sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath Jerim, another Levite city, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it. And the men of Kiriath Jerim, which would be Kohathites, came down, took up the ark of the Lord, brought it to the house of Abinadab, which is one of your favorite Bible names, Abinadab. They consecrated his son, Eleazar, to have charge of the ark of the Lord. And from that day, the ark was lodged at Kiriath Jerim. What happened here is what should have happened in 1 Samuel chapter 2. They got rid of the old priests. Eli was corrupt. His sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were stealing. They, nobody ever fired those guys. God killed them. Wow. Now they've taken it to another city and they have consecrated Abinadab's son, Eleazar. Good Levite name there. And from that day on, it was lodged there a long time past, some 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. They lamented. So why did they lament? Well, it doesn't say, but we've got a couple things pointing to it, right? They lamented because the ark could get stolen. They realized that God's presence had left them because of their sin. They lamented that they had a chance to do something about it and they didn't. But I think they could also lament that God showed them so much mercy and they received it. That's a that's a lamentable thing too to realize, wow. Just wow. C.S. Lewis says that the most used word in heaven for the first 10,000 or so years is going to be oh, because we're going to be walking around oh, and we're going to see somebody. We're going to see something. We didn't even realize that that was the Lord's hand at work. 
And so all you're going to hear for the first 10,000 years you're in heaven is, Oh, oh, oh. I am totally okay with that. I could go 15,000 years of that. But, but it wouldn't get old. Oh. And so this ends this little jaunt into the ark. Next week we're going to get back to Samuel and what Samuel's doing. But this is such a good setup because remember, remember Israel is surrounded by all these other countries and they're all living different ways. And Israel starts to live like all the other countries. And God gives this little warning of, you know, I'm, I'm the God of Israel, but I'm the God of the universe. I'm the God of all nations. And I show mercy and you can come and look at all the ways he's shown mercy in here. Just in this one chapter. But we'll see how Samuel works in that next. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. You are so rich in mercy. You, you show us kindness and you show us goodness in so many ways. Even Jesus' death on the cross. We couldn't have even made up for ourselves. We couldn't have, we couldn't have worked that up. But you did it for us, Lord. Even when we were sinners, you died for our sins. And you rose from the dead to proclaim your victory. And to show that death can't even stop you. We praise you and we exalt you, Lord. Amen. All right.